Father, we're always mindful when we come to you, come to the throne of grace, that it is the throne of grace. And uh, that your abundant grace and mercy is therefore available to us as sinners who, though we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, our sins have been uh, set apart, set aside, uh, paid for. Um, nevertheless, um, <laughs> many stains in our lives are real and enduring, and um, the effects of Adam's sin continue in all of us and eventually lead to our own death should um, the rapture not occur first. So, Father, I, I just uh, uphold each one who suffers or who loves one who is suffering and uh, for the sorrow and pain of that. Father, uh, please be merciful to those that suffer. Father, I uh, pray for our nation, which is in such a trial of soul and spirit. Indeed, uh, our hearts are broken when we see the rebellion and the evil being promoted in so many places. Much of our culture being taken over by that. So, Father, we just uh, commit uh, our leaders who do... Uh, care for those things that are good for our nation, truly good. I pray that they would be supported, encouraged, strengthened, and successful. Uh, Lord, if you'd give us uh, deliverance from this evil, we would be so thankful, of course, and we would rejoice, especially the culture of death that's always on our minds. And all these evils that lead to death in one way or another and the spiritual death that's just so evident. So, Father, please uh, work with our leaders, especially encourage our president. Uh, may he not um, give in to the, uh, the attacks of the enemy, but to hold strong and uh, continue to set this course correctly for this nation in a very dark world. Uh, we would just commit him and his advisors and all those that... Uh, Stand for truth, Father. May they be encouraged and not defeated, not silenced, but uh, bold for you. Father, as we look into your word now, uh, please uh, bless us. It's a privilege indeed to open it. And so, Father, I pray that you'd bless it to our hearts and spirits. And uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Well, we're continuing today. Today will be the uh, uh, second part of a three-part section on the return of the Lord Jesus and, and, and how that will finish up the, uh, the, uh, the period of the tribulation. Uh, basically, we finished our our study of the return last week, but, uh, and logically we could have gone on today to the millennial period, which will then finish up our entire study on the, the uh, long war against God. So after a few uh, studies there on the millennial period, it will be finished and we'll be starting a new subject altogether. Um, I would say within a, about five weeks or so, we'll be doing a verse-by-verse -verse study. I haven't decided for sure, but I think it will be in the uh, in Paul's letter 
to the Philippians, but uh, may change my mind on that. We'll wait and see. But um, that will be uh, the plan for the next uh, few fellowships here. Um, today, though, I want to summarize the, our teachings on the tribulation period that leads directly into the second coming of Christ. That means we need to look at the dispensational contrasts that are presented by Paul. What Paul does in his letters is to uh, often uh, relate to the teaching that had been very common there before Paul, namely through the 12 apostles, right, concerning the children of Israel and their future uh, prophetically, right? Paul draws contrasts with that often, and uh, <clears throat> that's what uh, what he's doing in the sections of Scripture we'll look at again today. Now, I say again because we've already spent much time. We've looked at this in detail. Um, I think it was nearly six months ago now, and uh, realizing that not all of you were present with us then, and uh, in any case, it's really important to review these things over and over just so we have them clearly in mind. So uh, what I want to do today is, uh, after summarizing last last week's uh, study, we'll, we'll jump right into our subject today, which is uh, the dispensational distinctives that Paul reveals there in his uh, first and in his second letter to the Thessalonians, uh, which are early letters, I think First Thessalonians being his earliest. Okay, so last time we we looked at the the two key words that are used in Christ's earthly ministry in his teaching concerning the coming time of trial for his people, the nation of Israel, right? The coming time of trial called the time of Jacob's trouble, trouble, and uh, that, of course, being part of the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord being three parts. First of all, the tribulation period. Secondly, that's seven years long. Secondly, the return of the Lord. And thirdly, the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ upon this earth. Um during which time Israel is uh, established as a nation again in the land, in the promised land, the land that had been promised originally to um, Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob and his 12 sons, leading, of course, to the 12 tribes of Israel. So three parts to the day of the Lord. The... Uh, study last week looked at the parable of the fig tree, Matthew 24, uh, which uh, the, the fig tree in, in uh, prophetic um, language symbolizes or, or, a, or prefigures judgment uh, for God's people. And uh, there's another tree we looked at before. It is the uh, olive tree, right? And that signifies blessing. Uh, prophetic blessings. And uh, so the fig tree and the olive tree are quite different. The fig tree uh, reveals in its uh, interpretation, and that's what uh, what our Lord uh, taught uh, 
that day when he was at the Mount of Olives and uh, his disciples came unto him and said, tell us when shall be the signs uh, of thy coming and of the end of the world, right? <laughs> so the signs of the times, which are called there the beginning of sorrows, uh, were revealed by our Lord for Israel. And there are many things involved there, but uh, uh, the central issue will be Satan and his work, right? And duplicating, if he could only do so, the... Uh, the very uh, miraculous powers and signs of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? So Satan will represent himself as the Christ, therefore the anti-Christ or the substitute for Christ, and will dominate the world uh, with a dictatorial uh, regime. Uh, and the believers at that time, the elect of Israel, uh, will be saved, but the rest will be lost. And uh, what we find there in Matthew chapter 24 and in chapter 25 then are four different um, teachings uh, about those final days, right, in the tribulation period, especially as it relates to God's requirements for them that they might endure to the end to be saved. And for that, they had to discern the times uh, and the seasons and the signs, the signs that would be provided. Okay. If they did not discern those signs correctly, because they might be misled by, by um, the work of the false prophet and the beast, right? Um, Antichrist's work, well, if they didn't discern the signs properly, then they couldn't obey the Lord properly. And what we read there is that they would be lost. And so there are those four examples. First of all, he draws a comparison with the days of Noah. Secondly, uh, the Lord speaks of faithful and unfaithful servants. And that wraps up chapter 24 of Matthew. And then contrasts the wise and the foolish virgins, uh, you know, the parable of the ten virgins, first part of Matthew 25, and then the last part of Matthew 25, uh, contrasts the sheep and the goat nations. And so uh, the end for many will be uh, everlasting punishment, it says. Uh, but for the believers, um, everlasting joy and uh, blessedness as they're brought into the millennial kingdom. Okay, so when the Lord returns, he's going to be both a judge and one who blesses his people. So that's uh, where we were last time. So today, let's just jump into this. What does Paul say about this? He's going to interpret this the dispensational differences show and, and describe in detail the dispensational differences between God's working today under grace and what God will be doing in the tribulation period. And, you know, as we've said so many times, the key question is always, what is God doing? If we do not know what God is doing, then our lives will be unrelated to his work. Just think of it as that simple, really. 
God's not always doing the same thing. Well, in an absolutely very high-level general sense, you could say, yes, right, he is. Uh, what does he want? He wants worship, right? Uh, he wants to be glorified. But um, there's specifics involved. Certainly the times in the tribulation will not be like the times today. Even the times in the kingdom will be very different from what we have today. I don't know whether you have thought much about that. I hope you have, because we've spent some time already looking at it, and we'll spend more in the next few weeks. But uh, the rule of God uh, through his son, Israel's Messiah, who will be king in that day, he's going to rule the world with an iron hand. <laughs> okay, that, there's significance to those words. Of course, the believers will be graciously uh, blessed, but the grace will not be the same as it is today. Uh, the difference will be the magnitude of it, I guess you'd have to say. God, there is grace in and uh, under every dispensational program of God because grace is a characteristic of God, right? But the dispensations are focused on uh, the emphasis of what God is actually doing specifically during those periods of time. So the dispensation of the law is not the same as the dispensation of the grace of God. And the dispensation of the grace of God is not the same as the tribulation period or the millennial kingdom, because different Aspects of God's working are highlighted during those times. So today we're under the abundance of grace. It's very different than being under Moses' law. And I, I, I know that we spent much time focusing on that and should never stop, I guess, focusing on that because so many today are teaching incorrectly about these things. So let's get started. The first thing is uh, Paul's dispensational interpretation concerning the times and the seasons. And after that, we'll look at Paul's dispensational interpretation concerning the satanic apocalypse. Okay? The satanic apocalypse. Uh, wow. Uh, apocalypse is a big word. It means the visible manifestation of the coming of the Lord, the apocalypse. I mentioned last time that the very first word in um, the Apostle John's great book called the Revelation, the last thing we find in our Bibles, the first word in that, the very first word in the Greek language in which it was written, right, is the word apocalypsis or apocalypse. And that's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the apocalypse, the visible. The visible manifestation in power and great glory of the coming of the Lord the second time to this earth. Okay, so our second part here will be concerning the satanic apocalypse. Okay, um, so let's start out. Um, with the first section concerning the times and the seasons. So for that, we return to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, so I'd like Roy to read for us chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 5. Roy? But of the times 
and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, or yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then certain destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of the light, and the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of darkness. Thank you, Roy. And Linda, please keep uh, reading there, verses 6 through 11. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an omelet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Amen. Okay, now this is a great, great uh, teaching um, and critical for our understanding. In fact, apart from Paul's teaching regarding these dispensational distinctions, uh, how would we know the essence of what God is doing today under grace? I mean, we wouldn't know the depth uh, 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 of meaning of that because we wouldn't understand uh, the essence of grace because when Paul teaches what that is, it's in reference to law most of the time, right? But when we take law out of the way, what's left, right? Well, you need something to replace it. Otherwise, you have chaos. You have license. You have all those things. And still said what God does is to... And this is, you know, something that he's worked out in in many ways by transforming us, giving us newness of life, giving us the life of Christ to dwell within us, you know, and 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 giving us the Holy Spirit to work in a way that's unique for this dispensation. Um, but throughout all that, he provides a framework within which grace can be manifested. His abundant grace. So. That grace was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, and is. So what Paul is doing is is delineating that. He's teaching it in detail in these sections. And he's doing it here in 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians by showing the contrast. Now, you might ask, well, isn't that rather negative to focus on differences all the time? Well, uh, well, it would be if, if one only focused on differences, right? I'm looking forward uh, to going into uh, one of Paul's letters like Philippians next in our next uh, uh, focus because uh, it's so overwhelmingly positive, right? <laughs> Though there are negatives. But the reason for the negatives are that there are false teachers about all the time, right? Paul writes the letters in response often to uh, what the false teachers have done. He needs to correct what they have done, and that requires his 
letters which are full of needed and essential teaching. Okay, so here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, is the response to false teachers that had already misled the Thessalonian believers after Paul had left town. Paul was there for uh, a while, teaching and preaching to them, and had... Uh, really taught them a lot. In fact, I'm, I'm sometimes uh, thinking about it, sort of, if you try to put it in the modern context, what would it be like? I mean, today, if if we were teaching uh, and we're only going to be with you for three weeks, uh, what would we do? What would we teach every day and every night, right? <laughs> and those that could would be present. Those that didn't have to work for a living. <laughs> uh, many in those days had to work um Seven days a week, probably, at least six, probably seven, right? And uh, life was very difficult. Some could take advantage of the apostles' teaching. But when he left town, uh, the false teachers were always present. They always came in to steal away the hearts and minds of the believers. And it was the Judaizers uh, in particular who were... uh, the worst enemies of the teaching of Paul, but but also the um, the Gnostics. So they were the the ones who had the Greek uh, uh, philosophy to offer uh, some kind of a so-called Christian <laughs> twist to it. I'm sure, right? Uh, but nevertheless, they were contradicting the teaching of Paul in critical ways. So. Paul writes uh, here, he says, of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that he'd already told them much about the times and the seasons. But the other is that they were not going to be part of the times and the seasons. They were going to be raptured uh, out of this world first, right? And so what Paul is doing here is teaching them dispensationally. Uh, he's saying, you know, there is a time of great darkness coming. When Once the rapture has occurred, the world will be in darkness. Why? Because the church, the body of Christ, will not be here bearing uh, the light of our Lord Jesus Christ and the light of grace, right? And the, the world will be in darkness, therefore. And, uh, and there will be great trial and tribulation that comes because uh, once we're raptured out of this world, those seven years of trial, the time of Jacob's trouble, will uh, will come immediately upon this world. And we can see certain evidences even uh, today of how that is going to prepare for that, but, uh, but it will be quite different once the church is removed. Uh, I think we can't even imagine the differences. There'll be so many things happening at that time. Okay, I won't go into a list of what those things are uh, in general. Just Let's just consider what's written here, though. In this section, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, there are a number of different contrasts that are really important. The ye and the us, the you and us, that's, that's us, not they. The they's, of course, uh, refer to those living in the tribulation periods. So there's a big difference between them and and us. The them are the um, the unbelievers who will be living in the tribulation period, <clears throat> and also the believers who'll be living in the tribulation period, but they'll be living in that time of darkness. 
the us and the ye or the you, that, that's uh, those living under the uh, dispensation of grace. To whom Paul is writing there, the Thessalonian believers and those others that this applies to throughout the uh, terms and length of the dispensation. Now, you know, over 1900 years. He also contrasts the day and the night, the day and the night. Similarly, uh, a dispensational contrast. Then he uses this word watch, and he uses another word, the word sleep. Okay? Now, back in chapter 4, you remember, there's a great chapter there about the coming of the Lord uh, for us, as he calls us to meet uh, him in the air and also all our dear ones who've gone before, right? So we will be caught up together into heaven's glory and forever we'll be with the Lord, it says there in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Back there, though, he says those that sleep will not be delayed in receiving the full inheritance that's been promised to them, but but uh, they will be uh, gathered first and given, of course, a resurrection body, right? Uh, even before we uh, are changed or transformed, we who are alive, he says. So uh, those who had died uh, previously would be, you know, given their inheritance uh, in terms of a resurrection body, even before we would receive our changed bodies, and then together with them and with the Lord, we then enter heaven itself, right? Uh, so he uses the word back there in chapter 4, verse 13, a word for sleep, okay? He's talking about physical death, of course, those that have died before. That's really clear from the context. But here in chapter 5, also translated sleep in most translations, uh, is a different Greek word, and this word is never used of physical death. Okay, the other word, the one in chapter 4, verse 13, is used both of metaphorical death, <laughs> sleeping, uh, people sleep in the night, right? Also um, uh, of physical death. This word here in chapter 5, a different word altogether, is never used. You can do a word study on this. You see, it's never used of physical death. It's always used of either sleeping, like in the night, or of metaphorical sleeping. In other words, being out of tune with what's going on, being uh, drowsy, as it were, in your mind, your mind just not focused well, right? That's in, and that's the whole subject uh, that Paul is addressing here. Because he's pointing out the dispensational distinction. You remember from our studies the last couple of times that in the tribulation period, it's absolutely required that uh, all take note of the signs of the time so that they can react accordingly, so that they can obey what's needed at the right time. And if they don't, they'll be like those five virgins, you see, that were not discerning the signs of the time. So they need to watch and they need to then obey as required. They need to be alert. If they're sleeping in their minds or distracted and not paying attention to those signs of the times that will come, then they're going to be lost. 
it's a black and white distinction. They need to be watching, they need to be waiting, they need to be alert, or simply they will miss out on the blessings. And ultimately, of course, it's the, bless the blessing is uh, um, the millennial kingdom and all that comes with that. So they're exhorted to watch and pray and so forth. It's an absolute requirement to be alert. Uh, what Paul is saying here, though, verses 11 and 12, a most uh, important and precious teaching, he says, whether, you see what he says there, <laughs> verse 11, whether we watch or not, we will live together with him. This is not possible during the tribulation period. Watching is necessary at that time. You know what? Today it's not. You may not be alert all the time. You may not be watching all the time. And you may not be waiting all the time. Uh, that will not uh, effectively eliminate you from the plan and working and blessing of God as it will back in the tribulation period. We are guaranteed life together with him forever once we have believed on our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's able to say whether we watch or not, and showing the contrast in those previous verses with uh, what our Lord revealed for the tribulation period, whether we watch or not, today under grace, we will live together with him. As a result, he's able to uh, offer an exhortation that's gracious indeed. And that exhortation is... Uh, <laughs> a beautiful thing, right? So verse 10 says, whether we watch or wake. Um, verse 11 says, therefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Why? Well, because under grace, we're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation, uh, as verse 9 indicated. So, what a wonderful section showing the dispensational contrast so clearly between what God is doing today under grace with us, members of the body, and what he will do with his people in the, in the, uh, the coming tribulation period after the church, the body of Christ, is raptured into glory. This should bring great encouragement to your hearts. There are many teachers today teaching incorrectly, applying kingdom rulings to the church today, canceling out the grace of God effectively. And uh, that's what always happens when uh, law is imposed upon us, right? Law will cancel out the effective working of God's grace. Paul makes that so clear in so many places. Instead, being saved by grace, we now have opportunity to bear fruit. So it's called the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so, yes, we're not lawless because the law has been set aside, but in law to Christ, Paul writes in another place, right? And the fruit of the Spirit brings great glory to God today as the, that uh, just flows forth out of us because of newness of life, because of the engrafted in, in, uh, life of Christ within us, and because of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the first part here. 
um, concerning the coming signs and and uh, the seasons. He says, you don't need to hear about that because you're not going to be there. Uh, grace uh, will rule instead of uh, the wrath of God at that time. Now, the second part is concerning the satanic, the satanic apocalypse. Okay. Um, Sarah, I'd like you to start reading there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Read down to verse 6, please. Hi, Jim. Uh, I'll pinch here for her. Okay. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in my or be trouble, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a fallen away first, and that men of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who oppose Poseth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, in this time. Thank you, Lewis. And, um, Patty, would you please continue reading from verse number 7 through verse number 12? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the work of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All right, well, so what Paul is doing here, and this is in his second letter to the Thessalonians, apparently the first letter was effective, but not sufficiently. He had more reason after hearing how things had gone there. Uh, after they received the first letter, he had more reason to write a second. Uh, and in this chapter, he's um, underscoring a couple of things and giving a strong dispensational interpretation. You notice that uh, uh, he, he, he even refers to one of the issues, which is that somebody had, had um, written a letter and signed Paul's name to it <laughs> and and sent it, uh, it seems, unless this was just uh, metaphorical, but I, I think that apparently it had happened. Uh, somebody had sent a letter to the church uh, under Paul's signature, 
that was not really from him. <laughs> you can imagine how much uh, trouble that would cause, right? Because they are contradicting the teaching of the Apostle Paul. They're therefore contradicting uh, the teaching of grace. And so he says there in the first couple of verses, we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering unto him. Okay. And I believe that's two ways of saying the same thing. He's talking about uh, the uh, meeting up that we will have with Christ in the air, which he had already taught them in, in that first letter. So, He's exhorting them by that, right? <laughs> and and then he goes on to, to say something that relates to what this false letter uh, had taught, which is that they were, as believers, as members of the body of Christ, nevertheless going to be going through the tribulation period. And so he says, don't let anybody deceive you <clears throat> about any of that stuff, uh, that the day of Christ is at hand, <laughs> There, you know, speaking of uh, the second coming of Christ, um, don't let anybody deceive you. Verse three, and this is actually the most important verse here for our purposes today, at least. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first, and that then that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And then he goes on to describe the uh, the revelation of uh, the Antichrist and his workings, right? And especially manifest uh, at the midpoint or the three and a half year period of the tribulation period. And so he says, by contrast, you know, here are all those things that, that we've already told you about, we've already taught you about, uh, that will occur, and none of those things are happening today. Isn't it clear? Isn't it obvious? Look around you. Do you see those things happening? So how can the false teachers be correct? Well, of course, the false teachers were saying that, oh, this teaching is only meant to be taken allegorically. The prophets cannot be interpreted literally, and therefore these things are happening today, they said, uh, not literally, but uh, in a metaphorical way. Uh, and so you believers are, in fact, in the tribulation period. Paul was wrong. There was no rapture beforehand uh, at all, right? Even that rapture teaching <laughs> would have to be taken uh, metaphorically, saying, well, he was spiritually uh, present at least or something like this right so so really what paul is saying is that you don't have any reason for me to teach you concerning that because it is not uh, a reality you have not uh, lived into the tribulation period at all and so the legal regulations applying at that time are not applicable to you Notice that there are no gracious exhortations um, with um, the Matthew teaching, right? <laughs> it's all legal. This is what's required. Whereas here, it's all it's all gracious, really. He beseeches them by the coming, by the, the soon, we hope, uh, appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in the air when we're caught up to be together with him. Verse 3, as we've taught you before, needs to be understood as a 
direct statement of the rapture and the timing of that sequentially. Uh, the falling away, okay, it's not talking about doctrinal error there. The word um, is a word that's used both both of doctrinal error in some places, but also just normal physical departure. You just leave behind or you're, you, 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 you've come apart from. And so here it's, it's uh, in the context of coming apart from literally being caught up into the air. And only once that rapture has occurred will it be possible for the tribulation period to begin. And so the man of sin cannot be revealed uh, with all of those other things listed here until the rapture has already occurred. That's Paul's dispensational teaching. And I, I hope it's clear for you, because unless we understand what God is doing today, we cannot know how to live. Not to the fullest, at least, right? Yes, worshiping God uh, is true in every dispensation, right? Faith is a requirement in every dispensation. But in the tribulation period, much more than faith is required, right? Also, obedience, whereas today... Uh, Obedience is not required, but it is desired by our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're to be motivated by grace and not law. What a difference there is there. We're to be motivated by grace and not law. Just think about that and what that means. Are we motivated by grace today? That's the test for today. Our works are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, whether they were on the proper foundation built or or not, right? So praise the Lord for grace. It's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And may we rest in glory in it, as the Apostle Paul has taught us. Comfort is the order of the day, Paul says in these teachings here. Rest, rest is the order of the day. Uh, watching, looking, see how the Lord will work according to the riches of his grace as in newness of life. Uh, he brings forth great glory to his name. Praise the Lord for his grace. How many times can we say it, huh? Well, if you'd like to make a comment, I hope you will. Um, now's the time. Hi, Jim, and thank you for the uh, sharing the uh, this wisdom. And I just have a quick comment, and just based on my observation, uh, I feel that churches out there today, they either don't preach the concept of rapture, or they try to de-emphasize this teaching as if um, some rapture conspiracies, you know, happened over the past, you know, few times that caused this, uh, public distrust in the concept of the rapture. Somehow rapture became a heresy. So mm -hmm. nowadays church just don't talk about it, but this is a huge, um, undermining of the grace in this period because rapture is really our hope, the hope of glory. And you don't talk about the rapture as if it doesn't exist. 
or as if it's a heresy, then what's people's hope? <laughs> you know, you talk to people, people keep, in, you know, inciting, you know, uh, Matthew 24, mm. 25, mm. as if, you know, that's what every believer have to go through. So we have to be faithful to the law. It just really generates so much confusion. Yeah. And it's all due to the, the emphasis or the rejection of the idea of rapture. That's right. It is very true, Lewis, and we see it everywhere, don't we? We really do. Um, hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and they, they do consider it heresy, don't they? And it's, uh, I think there are a lot of reasons for this. Uh, one is that the, the human nature always wants rules to live by. That's, uh, of course, a major focus and factor. Uh, but it's also that the dispensational understanding is not being taught in the seminaries like it once was in many. So there are only a few left, I would think, that are teaching these things uh, even close to correctly and nearly none teaching it correctly, right? Because Paul really needs to be emphasized. and He's the apostle of the Gentiles, right? The 12 were apostles to Israel, and I think that's a distinction largely ignored today. So it's no wonder there are these confusions being taught to the up-and-coming pastors, and then they go out into the churches, right? Thanks, Lewis. Uh, any other comments or sharing today? Okay. Let's... Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Father, we, we're humbled to consider this, uh, this kind of teaching, Father, because uh, it's clearly so important for us as believers to know what you are doing today so that we can know what you're doing in our lives. If, if it were in the realm of signs, wonders, and miracles, uh, that would be a totally different story. Not that you don't work miracles. You work miracles every day on many uh, sides, right? And in many, uh, um, <laughs> I think of the many intersections with our lives that you make. Father, that's a great, great miracle indeed. How about, uh, how could we ever forget the, the uh, way you work in our own lives to draw us to yourself and course, continue to do that once we're saved. So, Father, we, we just rejoice in that, that your works today are so visible spiritually uh, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, and really quite invisible to others. But uh, they may see us and wonder about us, Father, and may even ask us, uh, what's, what is it that motivates you? And, and we'd have opportunity to give them, them the uh, sort of the rest of the story, as it were, the, the essence of what it is that we as believers uh, uh, rejoice in, that they also might rejoice in the same. So, Father, I pray for those that we speak with uh, today and the days to come, that we be bold for you and that we wouldn't forget uh, that everything, everything we have and everything we'll ever have uh, that's enduring and eternal is based upon the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, shed his blood for our uh, salvation, uh, our forgiveness, our justification, 
Uh, he was raised gloriously to provide it. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you in, in Christ's name.